Well, I have some very bad news and some good news to share with you this morning. Um, it's sad for me to announce that three of your pastors in this past week have resigned their posts as pastors. Jay Underwood, junior high pastor, has stepped down. Brock Boldy, the children's pastor, and myself, the high school pastor, are currently pick, packing up our offices and, and moving on. The good news is there's a new Star Wars trilogy coming out. For those who haven't heard, early last week, Jay Underwood, our junior high pastor, was offered a very lucrative acting position with Lucasfilm. Apparently, George Lucas had some original material which was previously unreleased. Now, for those fans of the Star Wars series, you know that Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, and Padme had two children, Luke and Leia Skywalker. Now, the famous story that we all know goes on to trace the lives of Leia and and most especially Luke. But what the story doesn't tell is that Padme, on her deathbed, didn't only have twins, but triplets. That's right. The movie doesn't show this, but Luke and Leia were followed shortly by the birth of their slightly undersized and somewhat emotionally challenged brother, Jay Skywalker. The new series is predicted to hit the billion-dollar mark, and evidently our own Jay Underwood was a perfect fit for the part. Unfortunately for Jay, he signed a contract in which both he and Julie will be on location in New Zealand for some three years without their children. Realizing this problem after the fact, Jay hired Brock Boldy to raise his kids for the next three years. (laughs) He at first resisted, but seven figures changed his mind. As far as I go, when the elders found out, they approached me about extending my position to cover junior high and children's, and I just quit. So, (laughs) and I'm kidding. Okay, there's no resignations. None of us are leaving. But what if that original, the original premise was true? What if all the youth pastors and all the youth staff and the children's staff just quit here at Calvary Bible Church? Who would take care of the youth? Who would take care of the children? Who would take care of the teenagers? This group of impressionable, young, naive sheep who would shepherd them, take them in, guard them, protect them. Would you do it? Would you? Would you shepherd them? It's been a real interesting experience being a paid pastor now for the last couple of years. For many years, I did just what you guys do. I volunteered my time. But being paid, I found that it's definitely a benefit. It frees me up to study more, to pray more, to pour more effort and more energy into the youth, especially in my position. But I've also found that me being paid seems to free others up from ministering to the youth. And we have to remember that the youth of this church are our responsibility, not merely mine. Over and over in the scriptures, you see the, the church compared to a body. You see this in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, 18. Over and over, it's a comparison between the church, us here, and the body. And it's such a great analogy when you think about it. Picture this. I show up this morning in a rush to get to church, to be on time, preaching. And in my rush... As I shut the door, I slam my finger in the door. Now, some of you have done this. And I'm caught with my finger in the door. Now, how does my body respond at that moment? Well, of course, you know what happens. All my my muscles in my arms and my shoulders, they're working to try to pull out that stuck finger. They're all working together towards that end. My feet reposition themselves so that I can get a better pull on that finger. Meanwhile, my eyes are focused on the problem. They're not off wandering around, but they're focused so that I know what's going on. My mouth is yelling, help! We're all working together. My other hand is meanwhile fumbling in my pocket for the keys to unlock the door. What if my eyes didn't help? What if that was happening and my eyes were just kind of wandering over there? I wonder how they're coming to church this morning. Fingers in the door. What if my hand just kind of sat out over here and said, Well, I'm doing just fine. Hey, didn't we hire someone to take care of these kind of problems? 
This is how the body works. It all works together. The church is the body. We work together to help the finger pull out of the door. That's the goal. Well, let's, let's twist the analogy just a little here. What if the foot had gangrene? You guys know what gangrene is. The, the, the death of the tissue, the dying, the disease that spreads. And what if the foot had gangrene? Shouldn't the hand be concerned? Not only because the foot is hurt, but the hand should be concerned on behalf of the whole body. Because if the gangrene spreads, what's going to happen? Body's going to die. And that's how it is with the church. We are to work together. We are to care for one another. This is how the body works. It's how the church works. Well, there is gangrene in the foot. There is a poison eating away at the body. There is a disease spreading through the flock. And we must do something about it as members of this body of Christ. This morning, I want to awaken you to a danger. It's a danger all of us face almost every day. But it's a danger that is primarily and especially directed towards the youngest members of our body. We call the danger media. Media. The mass communication through television, radio, newspaper, internet. The communication from the world to us. The danger that lies in the images and the sounds and the content that we allow into our lives through the media. And I think we need to talk about the media here in Media City. I have to. First, Jack told me I had to preach on this. (laughs) Second, there aren't too many issues as widespread and deadly and seemingly undetected as this one. If we're going to address these things, if we aren't going to address these things here in the church, then where? So this morning I want to talk about a few things and I want to awaken you to the problems with the media, especially in regards to our youth. And I want to call you to watch out for yourselves first and then to come alongside and help our youth, to look out for them, to shepherd them, to see them as a part of the body, to treat them just as if you were the youth pastor. And if you don't think there are enemies wanting so badly to keep this from happening, to keep the separation between you and the youth... Well, then you haven't been listening to Jack's sermons the last few weeks on demons and Satan and the spiritual forces that are against the body of Christ. It was my freshman year of college at Washington State University when I first had my eyes open to the dangers of the media. My best friend, Mike Spielman, and I, we went a thousand miles from home to live in the dorms at a public university. And I watched... The guys and girls on the floors above and below me spend their entire lives and days and hours on the television, playing video games, watching movies, watching TV. By the end of that year, about a third have dropped out. But I also began to see the grip of the media on my own life. I found that my conversations were centered more around Seinfeld and sports than spiritual life. And I wasn't into dirty movies. I had my rules. I I didn't watch rated R flicks. I was a good kid. But I had let media slip into my life deeper and deeper. And my thoughts and my conversations were guided more by TV than anything. So Mike and I, we really worked hard at at trying to break this. We, We eventually moved into our own apartment. We chucked the TV hardly any movies. We started a Bible study. We made attempts to get our conversations focused on the Lord. Things were going well. And then the internet came along. My first few years in college were the first few years that the internet became widespread in the public. And at first it was amazing. It was exciting. It was amazing the things you could do on the internet. We were so excited about it. We got a separate line in our apartment just for the internet. It was great. And then one day I I stumbled into the dark side of the internet, unbeknownst to me. And I realized what filth and sin could be had at the click of a button. 
all of a sudden it wasn't enough just to not go rent a video or to not go to some racy flick. It, it was right there in my bedroom, that and a thousand times more. And as I began to pour into the lives of other young men at Washington State, I began to see what a nasty epidemic this was becoming for our generation. And that was 10 years ago. And it's worse now. It's all worse. The music, the television shows, the news, the video games, the internet, they've all grown leaps and bounds in their filth. And I'm afraid that that we've embraced and indulged them more now than ever. As a society, definitely. As a church body, and especially in our youth. I want to prove this to you. The Kaiser Family Foundation is a non-profit, non-religious group which has surveyed a wide sample of youth in regards to media. In their survey, the media that they're talking about consists of TV, movies, computer use, video games, and music. The young people they surveyed were between the ages of 8 and 18. A wide range. Some Christians, some not. Some low income, some high income. And I want you to get a number in your head. And just so you could get an estimate of how many hours per week do you think the average youth uses the media in one of those forms i just want you to get a number in your in your minds right now how many hours a week does the average youth use the media i want you to raise your hands for me okay how many people have in their minds more than 10 all right how about more than 20 All right, okay. How about more than 30? Okay, a little, lost a few there. Anybody say more than 40? Anybody have more than 44? Okay, a few of you. That's right, it's 44 and a half. 44 and a half hours a week is the average amount of time that youth age 8 to 18 spend in the media. Young people on average spend six and a half hours a day using the media. TV and movies takes up about four hours a day of this time. Kids who spend more than an hour watching TV, 66%. 99% of all homes have a TV. Two-thirds of all kids have a TV in their own bedroom. 37% have cable TV in their own bedroom. Computers take up about an hour a day. 75% have internet access. One-third have a computer in their own bedroom. Here's a scary one. One One-fifth have internet in their own bedroom. 13%, and this one's growing, have their own handheld internet device. They have an internet in their hand wherever they are. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. This survey that that I looked at did the same thing about five years ago. and, And over the course of those five years, internet access is the one that's really taking off. It's grown from 47% to 74% of all youth. Internet access in the bedroom has doubled. The number of kids who go online for more than an hour has nearly doubled. And this, this report done by the Kaiser Family Foundation said this. One of the most interesting comparisons between five years ago and today is that the number of hours a day young people spend using the media has remained nearly identical. It was six and a half hours in 1999 per day, and it's six and a half hours Per day now. They have increased the amount of time they spend using more than one media at a time. In other words, they put the headphones on while they're playing on the computer, and so they're getting more. But the fact that there is such a remarkable consistency in the amount of time spent each day with media over this five year period indicates that young people may well have hit a ceiling in terms of the portion their day of their day they can afford to devote to media. In other words, they just can't fit in anymore. They've maxed out six and a half hours a day is about all they can, they can put in. If you think about it, it, it's about right. If you sleep for about eight hours and you go to school for seven or eight hours, doesn't leave too many more hours to stuff this in. The report goes on to say, without question, this generation truly is the media generation devoting more than a quarter of each day to media as media devices become increasingly portable 
And as they spread even further through young people's environments, from their schools to their cars, media messages will become an even more ubiquitous or widespread presence in an already media-saturated world. And listen to this last line. Anything that takes up this much space in young people's lives deserves our full attention. Non-religious group came to that conclusion after surveying the youth. You agree with that? Does it deserve our full attention? Seems to be an obvious conclusion. Or is it? Is the gangrene working its way up the leg undetected? Well, you might say that's just the world. Our kids aren't like that. So I surveyed our kids a couple months in a row. And I asked them to record how many hours they spent on all sorts of different activities. And I'm going to give a, a fuller report of this on a parent dinner on April 22nd. You guys can all come. You want to know what I found? I found that we are doing better than the national average in TV. I was encouraged by this. The national average has kids at about 28 hours per week on TV. We're about half that. I was still disturbed that the time spent with TV was four times more than reading or prayer, twice as much time as spent in the youth group, 10 times more than their family devotions, and about 30 times more than the time they spent witnessing. Internet, however, was a greater concern because I found that we were right on the national average, which concerns me. It concerns me because the internet, as I think most of you know, can be a dangerous place. It can be a very dangerous place. And I'm just going to give you one example of a mild danger that's out there on the internet. It's mild, but it's huge and it's sweeping. And I'm sure that most of you guys have seen it in the news. I want to talk about MySpace. MySpace.com. This is a meeting place for for youth. There's about 55 million people who are on MySpace, mostly young people. This started to become the buzzword in our youth group about a year ago, so I I checked it out with a fellow pastor. We lasted about 15 minutes. Realized we had to turn it off. Not going to defile our eyes anymore. There were were too many pop-ups. There were too many bad pictures. There were too many graphic scenes that we just said, we can't research this anymore. I was disturbed. Last week, I wanted to do a little bit more research. So I had my wife do the research. I had my back to the computer screen, and I just asked her, what what do you see? I'm just looking at our Calvary youth. What's on their pages? What's going on? What do you see out there? And it was disturbing. Most of the time, I couldn't have searched myself because of the images that were there. And it's not that our students are necessarily putting up the bad images, But the way MySpace works is you get friends. And these friends come from all over the place. Some of our kids had 450 friends. And they they put their pictures on your website. And that's where the bad stuff comes. And you get one click on that and you're in a whole world of hurt with filth and sin. So from a content perspective, I was disturbed. But I, I was also disturbed from a safety perspective. That these kids are putting out masses amount of personal information about themselves where anyone can see. And any guy can just plug in and say, yeah, I'm a 16-year-old male at this high school. And hey, you want to talk a little bit? And who knows what he really is? But he's got all your info. Larry Maggid, who is a uh, CBS News analyst, kind of an expert in MySpace and the Internet, he did some, some research to just kind of see what it would be like if you were a predator trying to go after one of these girls. And he said this, one of the girls who is 16 has a, a sexually suggestive word as a part of her username, which is pretty common on this. Thanks to MySpace, I have a pretty complete picture of her life. I know the day she was born, the hospital she was born in, her full name, where she goes to school, what she likes to eat, what time she goes to bed at night, her favorite fast food restaurant. She gets along with her parents sometimes. In the past month, she says she has consumed alcohol, eaten sushi, been to a mall, and done some inappropriate things with her friends, which she named, but I won't name for you. She says she has shoplifted at least once, wants to be a lawyer, and would like to visit Egypt. Information such as this, which used to take predators months to extract from a child, can be skillfully used to win the child's confidence. Thanks to several pictures on her site, this is 
the guy talking again. I also know exactly what she looks like and have seen pictures of many of her friends and am able to access their profiles as well. The girl lives within a few miles of my house. Some of the pictures were clearly taken at the local high school. He concludes with this. With this information, it would be pretty easy for someone with bad intentions to find this girl. That's the other side of the coin on the danger that's out there for the youth on the internet. And all of this was found with a single visit to her MySpace page. Did you know this kind of stuff was out there? Do you know what your kids, your grandkids, your friends' kids are doing on the internet? Do you know? There's a lot out there that we may not be aware of. But you know what? Your kids know what's out there. And that's a scary thought. These days, the hot item is the iPod. Probably many of you have seen those or bought those for your kids or grandkids. The iPod, which is just basically a glorified Walkman, okay? A lot of songs, a lot of data. Now it's turned video. So now you get the video iPod and you can go to iTunes and you can download video for that iPod. For a small fee, you can download any video you want. The cell phones are all going video these days. They're all opening up. I talked to uh, a guy at Fry's the other day about the new singular 8125. Latest PDA on the market. Full internet capabilities. Technology which makes it possible for you to go from your PDA to your friends. Now just think about that for a minute. Full internet ability right here in the palm of your hand. And you can get any file you want from any other friend that has a similar model. That's what's out there, and it's only going that direction quicker and quicker. And you can get all that for about $20 a month. Portable DVDs. Gaming consoles. Now the, the games are turning internet. The PlayStation Portable. You could take your PlayStation Portable, go down to downtown Burbank where the Wi-Fi network is, is available for free, and as long as you sign off and say, I'm not going to do anything bad with this, you can get on and use it, and sure, you can play games with your buddies, and you can do whatever else you want on the Internet with these PlayStation portables and that whole route. How about thumb drives? You guys know about thumb drives? The size of your thumb, it's a little disc. Instead of having CDs or floppy disks anymore, they're going to thumb drives. So on the, on, on the size of a, a disc the size of your thumb, you can load gigabytes of pictures and videos, anything you want. And you can pick them up anywhere you want. Pick them up from your friend's computer, take them, plug them into your computer. Filters don't catch that because you're on the inside technically. So filters don't see it as something coming in from the outside and filter out any bad picture. Anything that's on that little thumb drive goes onto your computer. Kid can get on, plug it in, see what he wants to see, do what he wants to do, and pretty much get off undetected without knowing he was ever there. Peer-to-peer file sharing. You guys remember Napster? Napster was this giant database of songs where you would take all the songs on your computer and she would have all the songs on her computer and a million other people and you would share music. So you could grab a song from their computer and grab a song from that computer. And of course, it broke the copyright laws and was nailed for it. But that file-to-file peer share, it still happens. And it happens with more than just music. There's this whole network set up where anything on that person's computer, you can have just transfer the file over. And this gets real dangerous because where some, where kids before might have been locked out of certain things because of cost, now their buddy gets it, pays the money for it, and they can have it for free. Just pass on the file, peer-to-peer. Chat rooms, you know what they're talking about. Do you know who they're talking to? I am. Instant message. Who are they talking to? Who are these people? Who are these friends? The questions I want you to think about right now is, do you know? Do you know that these things are out there? And do you know what your kids are doing, what your grandkids are doing, what even the youth at this church are doing? Do we know or are we just closing the door, letting the gangrene grow slowly up the leg? 2 Timothy 3.1 says it right. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And the difficult times are upon us and especially our youth. Well, this presents challenges and struggles to Calvary on multiple levels. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 5 to highlight some of the issues and some of the problems that are inherent in the media. 
Ephesians is a great place to turn for this because this church was located in the city of Ephesus, which was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. This city was a a commercial metropolis located right on the harbor. Very busy harbor, kind of like our city. A lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff going through. So Paul is dealing with a church in a similar situation as ours, a church which needed direction and guidance amidst a corrupt, pagan, idol-worshiping society. And I want us to look at some of the issues that Paul addresses, that God addresses with us and take them and apply them to the media. So catch up with me here, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That is what we are celebrating this week. But look at verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. The NIV says, not even a hint of immorality or any kind of impurity. Would you say that today's media is not even a hint of immorality? Or is it hardly a hint of morality? Would you say that there is some impurity in the media today? It's hard to talk about the media without talking about impurity, without talking about the sins of fornication and adultery. The media lives off of these. The word here for immorality in the Greek is porneia. And guess which word we get from that? Pornography. The immorality, the pornography industry is, guess what? $57 billion strong. Its total revenue exceeds ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. It's no wonder the major networks go that direction more and more. That's where the numbers are. That's where the crowds are. That's what people want. Explicit websites, number 4.2 million, which is about one in every eight websites. Pornographic pages, 372 million. You ever use a search engine like Yahoo and a Google? Use them to do some research or look up something that you're interested in? Well, people use those for pornographic requests as well at a rate of 68 million every day. It's a big business. Big business for the media, impurity is. And how much are we as saints allowed? Well, what does it say in the text? Not even a hint. That's a command from the Bible. So there's a danger in the media. There's a problem. The average age of the first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old. You know some 11-year-olds? The largest consumer of internet pornography is the 12 to 17-year-old age group. There is gangrene. In the foot. And I'm just talking about the worst end. I'm talking about the absolute filthiest end. I'm not even addressing immodesty. The stuff that your filters don't filter out. Just the immodest dress. Just the, the, the fashions. The, the, what's out there now. That's all legal for us to look at. Filter wise. Can you imagine the numbers on that? And this is not just a youth problem. I think we know this. Survey at Promise Keepers, which is a get-together for Christian men, went like this. Out of 1,500 Christian men, half, half had viewed pornography the week before. The week before. The U.S. boasts some 40 million people who regularly visit internet pornography websites, and about a fourth of those are females. So the problem is for all of us, but it's especially for our youth. Ephesians 5.3 says not even a hint of impurity. And the media survives off of impurity. What would you think if I invited you over for lunch today to my house and you came in and you saw this box over there in my living room? You said, what's in that box? I said, oh, just magazines. Magazines. There's all sorts of magazines in there. About one in every eight is pornographic. What would you think? Would you be offended? 
Would you be offended that I had that box in my living room? And would you be offended that I had another one in my bedroom? That's what it's like to have the internet in your home. Except it's even easier and quicker to get into the sin with a click than it is to rip into that box and try to find the magazines. It's quicker with the internet. Would you leave your kids alone with that box? Your grandkids? Wives? Would you feel okay with your husbands hanging around the box late at night? But it's worse than that because nowadays it's not just the box. The box comes with the salesman who sits next to the box and says, Hey, look over here. Have you looked in the box lately? How about this magazine? How about this one? How about this one? And it's the bad ones. You know what I'm getting at? The pop-ups. The email solicitation. This is a huge business out there today. You can hardly get on the internet without all sorts of careful controls, without a pop-up or an email solicitation. I still get them all the time here at Calvary. And and our, our system is so covered and safeguarded. There's a salesman right next to the box calling you to look at all the garbage in it. That's what it's really like. And if you've never seen that, ask your kids if they've ever encountered that. Well, I mentioned impurity because it it seems to be the leading sin and the most overt. It's not the only one. The media promotes greed and anger and murder and jealousy and criticalness. You just think of the sitcoms that are out there, gossip, stuff we laugh at. This week, we're remembering Christ's death for these sins that we laugh at and treat so lightly. We'll go back to Ephesians 5. Let's pick up in verse 6. First problem we come up with is impurity. Second problem we see in verse 6 here through verse 12, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Catch verse 7. Zero in on it. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Pretty clear. It's a command. But instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. How are we to treat these immoral and impure things fed to us through the media? How are we to treat them? Well, let me just tell you again what the text says exactly. Verse 7, do not be partakers with them. Verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds. Verse 11, again, expose them. Verse 12, it is disgraceful even to speak of them. And yet, I'm afraid that that not only do we speak of these things, but we gather our families together and watch them participate in them. The average home, according to our survey, has 3.6 CD or tape players, 3.5 TVs, 3.3 radios, 2.9 VCR DVD players, 2.1 video game consoles, 1.5 computers for a grand total of 17 resources all to pump in media. One in every four kid lives in a home with five or more TVs. Half have three or more VCR, DVD players. Cable or satellite TV is available to about eight out of every 10 kids. And more than half get premium channels at home, such as HBO. We are not to be partakers. We are not to participate. We are not even to speak of the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And the average home has 17 different media devices to bring these things in. Now, that's a problem. You see, what, you see what we're getting at here? There's a problem. There's an issue. We need to awaken to it. If you were a shepherd, would you want your youngest sheep, your most naive, unknowledgeable sheep playing near the edge of the cliff? What would you do if you saw them wandering over there by the edge? Well, you know what you'd do. You'd, you'd call them back. You'd go get them. You'd rescue them. They're young. They're foolish. They lack experience. But it's even worse than that because they've got the wolves kind of calling out to them, trying to bring them over by the edge of the cliff. And you think, well, what wolves? There's no wolves around my kids, around youth that I know. They're guarded. Well, the wolves have been crafty. 
And while they know that you'll reject them at your doorstep, that you won't reject them with that black box in your living room. And you'll bring in the same ideas and the same thoughts and the same temptations right there in your own houses. They come in through your living rooms. They come in through the little electronic gifts you gave at Christmas. That phone gadget you let your kid pick out. And perhaps the most dangerous, the internet. I like what Randy Alcorn says about this in his book, The Purity Principle. He says, kids are swapping God's present and future blessing for something they can immediately see, taste, or feel. And we are, in a sense, handing it to them. The secular survey that I've been mentioning says this, despite the concerns parents express about the impact of media on their children, this study does not find much evidence of major efforts on their part to curb or monitor their children's media consumption. About half of the 8 to 18 year olds in the survey said they have no rules about TV watching. Only about 20% actually have rules that are enforced and most of those rules are get your homework done first, not on the content that they actually watch. 77% have no rules on the computer. So when we see, what we see is that when it comes to media, purity is a problem and our own participation in it is a problem. It's a problem. Go back to Ephesians 5, look in verse 15. There's another problem. It says here in verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Aside from the clear warning against impurity, which is crystal clear, aside from the the call not to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, the other problem is this is just an incredible waste of time. Think about it. Six and a half hours a day. What a waste of time. Well, I'm a numbers guy. I used to be a math teacher. Sorry. And I want you to calculate another number for me. Okay, so here we go. What I want you to write down, I'd like you to write this one down if you would. Just so you have it there so you can look it in the face and decide what you want to do with it. I'd like you to get, a, get the number of hours you personally spend watching TV in a week. I'm only going to pick one aspect of the media. We'll talk about the TV. I want you to write down how many hours a week do you spend watching TV? Let me give you some help here. If you're one of those persons, you got your one show a week and possibly a movie on the weekend. You write down about three hours a week. That's probably about what it is. If you, you know, the TV's on every day and you you know, a couple hours at night, news, maybe a show here or there and pop some games or some movies on during the weekends, you're probably 12, 15 hours a week. It, it doesn't take much to get up there to those numbers. But, but write down your number. If you're an addict, and I've counseled, I counseled one guy who was an addict, sports addict. During the football season, he was logging about 35 hours a week, watched every pro game, followed most college games, watched Sports Center every time it was on during the day. The average youth watches 28 hours a week. So that gives you a gauge. I want you to get that number down, and now here's what I want you to do with it. I'm going to have you write down another number. I'm going to have you write down your life hours. At that current rate that you put for yourself, here's your lifetime hours. If you put two hours a week as your average, then you will log in your lifetime 6,240 hours of TV at two hours a week. If you put five hours a week, you will log 15,600 hours over the course of your life. And I'm I'm assuming a 60-year lifespan of watching TV, which is probably conservative. If you're at 12 hours a week, by the time you die, you will have logged 37,440 hours. That is 6.4 years if all you did was sleep and watch TV for 6.4 years straight. That's at 12 hours a week. If you're up higher, if you're in the 20-hour range and you're going to log 62,000 hours, if you're at 30-hour range, you're going to log 93,600 hours. Now, you know what's scary about that? 2 Corinthians 5.10 is scary. 
We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us believers this verse is talking to. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Do you want to take that lifetime number to Christ? Do you want to hand it to him? What are you going to say if he asks you to explain 15,600 hours? I gave to you, you gave back to me, TV? What are you going to say? I need to relax. It was my liberty. I have liberty to do that. You know what? Christ died to free you from sin so that you could commit your whole life, your whole mind, your whole body, your whole soul to him. That's why you're freed. That's why you've been given liberty. Jesus gave you each one of those hours. I'm reminded of Steve Lawson's sermon focusing on Psalm 90 verse 12 a few weeks back. Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So Ephesians 5 commands, be careful how you live. Be careful. Watch. This is an active command, which means you better be watching. You better be purposeful. You better look ahead on that road and see what's coming. And you better make the most of your time. Don't be passive taking in, but be active. But it's interesting because it goes on a couple verses later to talk about how we should be passive. Look at Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. This is a passive command, which means you do it, but someone else is doing it to you. Namely here, God, spirit. So we are to be filled with something, not us doing it, but filled with something. And that's God filling us. That's how we're to be passive, not filled by the media. And on this note, I just want to ask you, what do you think kids, your kids, your grandkids will look like if they fill their minds with 44 and a half hours a week of media? What do you think your girls are going to turn out to be? Do you want your girls to grow up and be like the images on TV? To be like their friends on MySpace? Do you want your guys to grow up to be like the guys on the television shows? The way they treat girls, the way they laugh about fornication and lying and anger and cheating and murder and sin. Is that what you want your kids to turn out to be? Dads? Is that what you want for your family? Don't be surprised when your son gets a girl pregnant or your daughter turns up a lesbian and your kids hate you when you've allowed them 44 and a half hours a week to fill their minds with that exact thing. Don't be surprised when you've given them free reign to pump in as much as they want into their minds and hearts. The input affects the output. You reap what you sow. Tomorrow's character is made out of today's thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, whatever is pure, lovely, good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. So Ephesians 5 highlights four problems which are just as true today as they were back then. Impurity, it's a problem. Participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness is a problem. Making the most of our time is a problem. Being filled by God is a problem that we face when we indulge in media and bring it into our lives because media doesn't accomplish any of those things. But what are we going to do about this? What's the solution? Okay, here we go. Or somebody give you the wrong solutions. Don't do this. Write these down, but don't do them. First, legalism. Legalism won't work. Trying to create this perfect list of every possible nook and cranny, every rule that's going to guard everything, it won't solve your problem. It may reduce your media intake. It may curb your problems with lust. But all it really does is redirect your sin from lust to pride and you've accomplished nothing your sins just look a lot cleaner legalism will not work separatism will not work you can't escape the world and you're not intended to we're not to escape to a a, a remote tribe in africa and never have to deal with these things 
We live in this society. This is where God has us. This is where he wants us to take his gospel forth. We are to be salt of the earth, lights of the world. We are to let our light shine before men. We are to be out there in this world. We are not to separate ourselves. We're not to construct 20-foot solid steel barricades where really all there should be is hedges. And the one thing that separatists forget is this. When you've put all your walls up and you've got all the world out, you've got enough sin right there in your own heart to ruin the whole thing. And it doesn't keep the spiritual enemies out either. So don't be a separatist. Fatalism. Don't do this. Fatalists believe there's really no hope of change. You know, I've been struggling with this for years. I'm never going to get over this. It's too hard. I'm too deep. Too many habits built up. They just accept failure and try to minimize it. Oh, I'll just, just don't do adultery. I'll feed my mind with whatever I want on the computer, but not adultery. I've got to keep it here. And this, you know, so I'm going to fall. So Romans 6 can rescue you from this. These are all faulty solutions because they are all man-centered. The right solution is going to be God-centered and practical. Have you ever read through the whole book of Ephesians? It's really neat. What happens in Ephesians is the first three chapters, they're doctrinal. They're all focused on God and salvation and what you are. They're not very much practical helps in there, but they're very foundational. And then Paul, as he's right, just turns this corner in chapter four. And all of a sudden, it's all about the practical, how the church works, how the gifts work, how the family works, the armor of God. And it's this neat combination of you better be founded in your doctrine, founded in God, and also living this thing out in real life. And I like that approach. That's the approach we need to take to fight this. The right solution first is God-centered. To be God-centered, you need to embrace repentance. Ephesians 5 says, no impure person gets into the kingdom. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that those who didn't deal seriously with sexual sin were going to hell. Jesus said that. And Jesus also said, don't be surprised. When you get to that last day and Jesus says, I never knew you when you've never done what I said. Don't be surprised. So there are serious consequences. But wait, is there really anything wrong? I mean, is there anything wrong with watching sports, with liking movies, with liking music, with TV? Yeah. Yeah, when they're more important than God, then it's the worst sin in the Bible. And if it's the practice of your life to enjoy what the media delivers more than God, Jesus says, you're not worthy of him. And the only solution is to repent, to embrace what we are about to go through in a very special sense this next week of remembering what Christ did, that our deliverer came to earth. He walked on palm branches. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And that by believing in him and turning from your sin, you might be saved to a life that's God-centered and not man-centered. For some of you who are entrenched in this, this is where you need to start and you need to admit it and start there. Those who are saved, you need to embrace the Bible. If you want to address the heart, see, we want to get at the heart here. You can put Band-Aids all over a problem, but if you don't get inside and actually take care of the core problem, nothing happens. We want to deal with the heart. And there is a tool that God's given us that actually cuts through to the soul and to the spirit down to the heart. And it's this right here. It's the word of God. That's what Hebrews 4.12 tells us. Mark 7 says that all these sins proceed from the heart. Now here at Calvary, I've got it right here. Down at the very bottom, we are a church built on the infallible and inerrant word of God. We believe in the authority and sufficiency of the Bible. Really? We wrote it on our announcements, but do we really believe it? Do you really believe Ephesians 5? If God's word is sufficient, why don't we read it? 
Study it. Learn it. Bring it into our lives. Why is it that most of our time is spent in everything else we can possibly think of than getting into this right here? We need to embrace the Bible. I gave our youth 19 categories of ways they spend their time. I didn't hit reading the Bible until category number 14. And below that, the next five were all spiritual activities as well. We need to embrace the Bible if the Bible truly is the authority and the sufficiency for our lives. Our youth are the product of our priorities. We can hardly blame the media world. They're just being effective in getting their message across. And we sit by and we passively allow young people to be fed the philosophies of the world instead of pointing them to the Bible and feeding them the philosophy of God. Ephesians 5.3 says not even a hint of immorality. Matthew 5.27 says he who lusts in his heart has already committed adultery. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God. Abstain from sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.16, make the most of your time. Romans 13.14, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. Let your mind dwell on these things. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above. Proverbs 4, 5, 6, 7, and more. We could go on just on the issue of impurity. This authoritative, sufficient word of God covers it and tells us everything we need to know. But do we embrace this and really believe that? All those verses, there are, those are family Bible studies waiting to happen on this issue that's so hot today in youth culture. Two months from now, there'll be new gadgets, new avenues of sin. This sermon will be somewhat out of date, but the Bible will not be. I like what John Piper says. Our chief enemy is the lie that says sin will make our future happier. Isn't that the lie that the youth are fed? Sin will make your future happier. And he says our chief weapon weapon is the truth that says God will make our future happier. Embrace the Bible. Well, this is how our solutions need to begin. If you're going to really tackle this, if you're going to really go after it, and in a couple minutes, I'm going to call you to do just that. This is where you need to start. You start with the gospel. You start with the word of God. These are the solutions to the heart issues that go on. It doesn't matter how many good strategies you have if you avoid the word and you avoid the gospel and you avoid the heart issues. But have the strategies too. They are good and helpful to have good practical strategies put in place in your life when they are founded on the word and on the gospel and on the heart issues at hand. I want to just list a few of these strategies and just remind you of this. If you were counseling an alcoholic, would you send them to the bar to do their quiet times? You wouldn't, would you? I hope not. How about a drug addict? Would you just kind of work with them and say, man, I'm just really going to be praying for you. I hope things get better for you. Just try to stay away, okay? No, you're going to say, teen challenge. Change your environment. Get you in a place that's really going to help you with this specific sin. It's strategic. If you're de- dealing with a woman who's, who's run up all her credit cards, one of the first things you're going to do is give me the credit cards. Cut them. Strategic. That's not the only issue you deal with, but you do the strategies. I like what my father-in-law says about this. He wrote a book on purity. Get it in the bookstore. He says, God has given us vast freedom in arranging our circumstances. We can either stack the deck in our favor or to our disadvantage. God has really given us the freedom to stack the deck how we want. And let's be strategic. I'm going to give you four real quick here. First strategy, educate yourselves. Find out what's out there. You're not going to become an expert. I know, but find out what's out there. And if you don't know about it, don't give it to your kid, but educate yourselves. Find out what, what, what's actually going on Two, guard your families. There are some good internet filters out there. There's some good programs out there that, that help. There's firewalls you can set up. There's, there's ways to do your password and ways to set up your computer that can, that can really help. One of the best of these is a program called Covenant Eyes. But I want you to realize something, that all these programs, they're good and they're helpful, but they can be dodged. And your kids know how. 
But set them up. Be strategic. As long as you're dealing with the heart issue first. Three, pray about everything. How many of you have prayed over your TVs? Over the programs that you're going to watch that night? Over the internet use? How many of you have prayed about it? These TV, internet, these are not rights. These are gray issues. Gray issues need to be thought through and prayed through and considered. You don't have to have a TV. You don't have to have the internet. Your life can function without them. Is it a sin for you to have a TV? Maybe. Is it a sin for you to have the internet? Maybe. Is it a sin for you to go to a movie? It might be. See, it's on you to figure it out. It's on you to take this gray issue, take it before the Lord, pray about it, think through it, take the scripture, apply it and say, what can I handle? What can my family handle? What is godly for me in my situation? I have given you no rules that you might legalistically apply. I've exposed you to the problem, exposed you to the scriptures, and it's your job to take these things and apply them in your own homes and figure out what are you going to do about this? And if you turn a blind eye to this, pretend like it doesn't exist because it's the easy road to take, that gangrene is going to climb right up the leg and it's going to kill the whole body. So pray about it. Think through it. Lastly, I want to end where I started. Build relationships. Build relationships with your kids. If you're a parent, with your grandkids, if you're a grandkid, build a a close, tight-knit, loving relationship so they'll tell you everything. And you'll be in their lives on this and find out what's, what's on the, the next horizon for these sins. And then build relationships in the body. You senior saints, build relationships with the youth. You guys have more wisdom than the rest of us. You've lived through the life experiences. The things that we tell them to believe, you've already lived it. You can help them out. Get involved in youth ministry. If you are 82 years old, there is a place for you in youth ministry. It may not be staying up till midnight, wrestling with the guys, eating pizza. That's what we have college guys for. But there is a place for you in youth ministry. Youth ministry is not youth ministry. It's parent ministry. It's church ministry. It's your ministry. They are a part of your flock. They are a part of your body. They don't have the advantage of knowing the lifelong costs of what they're doing right now, but you do. Pour into them. Pick one out. Disciple them. Build relationships. Get involved with the youth. So in conclusion, here's what I want everyone to do. Here's my encouragement, my prayer, my hope, is that you will take these things and do something with it. James says, don't merely be a hearer of the word, but what? Doer. Be a doer of the word. If you take out the little notes section I gave you. Whoop, just broke that. If you take out the little notes section, I've got some questions on the back there. They're questions that can start a discussion. Fathers, you can lead your families through it, talk about it. Scriptures that you can look at. This is just a start. There's some suggested resources, books you can pick up in the bookstore. Create a plan. Do something. Be a doer. This is a major problem in today's youth. It may be a major problem in your life or in your family's life. And you need to do something about it. It's just the tip of the iceberg, what I've given you today. And then would you do this for me? Would you email me? Tell me what you did. I want to pray for you. I want to know what you did. I want to know what strategies you did for your family. That would be extremely beneficial for me to know. Email me. Call me. Let me know what you guys did. I would love to hear. Work together as a body on this. Here's one example of something you could do. This is just one example. John Piper has a book, Don't Waste Your Life. It's a great book. It's directed right at youth, right at teens. And basically talks about not wasting your life. So you could say this, as a part of our plan to attack this, we're going to cut out an hour where we usually watch TV together. And you know what? We're going to go through that book as a family. Or I'm going to go find a youth in this church and start discipling them through that book. That's one idea. But call me, email me, let me know what you did. Randy Alcorn says this, sometimes our children may fail to listen to us. Rarely will they fail to imitate us. Let's come alongside our youth and lead them out of the darkness by having no hint of sexual morality, not participating in any deeds of darkness, making the most of our time and filling our minds with God and not the media. And even here in Media City, 
we can overcome. First John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Let's pray. Father, do that in us. Grant us the victory. We know that you already have. Help us to be wise. Help us to be doers of your word. Help us to come up with great strategies and great ways to deal with the heart and to love and cherish our youth. To help them out through this danger. Not to pull them from the world, but to make them lights in the world, God. Help us to work together as a body to accomplish this. I know that your power can accomplish this, and I know that you want it, Lord. So I ask you to do it. In your name, amen.